0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Glad you were able to make it tonight with all the snow. Maybe somebody or some of the folks in the class are using the new live stream that Scott Jensen has set up for... (coughs) all of us, including people outside of the metro area. We'll be having small groups tonight, and for those of you who are listening at home or will be listening later, you might just consider, instead of um, having small group discussion, just jotting down some of your own learnings, just taking 10 minutes or so, and just doing that reflection and taking responsibility to reflect for yourself. What have you been learning? And in particular, one of the ways the Buddha um, supports, teaches in a way that supports insight and the deepening of wisdom is developing this capacity to deconstruct our experience. And it was a very powerful tool that humans somehow evolve to be able to use to abstract the world or right, to use mental image and thought to create a conceptual map instead of having all these details right i can have an abstract map of the metro area Minneapolis and St Paul you know and i've got the interstates 694 goes north 494 south 94 through the middle, 35W, 35E, and I kind of know some of the suburbs and all the different, right, and that has nothing to do with reality, but it's a concept that allows me to interact with reality in a way. And... One map that the Buddha used, this abstraction called the Five Aggregates, Right, it's a way of training our mind to replace the thought, you know, me, my body, my mind, me, mine, with a different map. And that's sort of what we're learning, is to destruct, uh, destruct, deconstruct what we would normally call a moment of me, a moment of selfing, a moment of my experience, into body and mind. And this is a very common way. Often we do this deconstruction just with the six sense gates. So we have the body as the five physical senses, and then all the other present moment activity would then be mind. Whatever is not seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, and tasting is mental activity. And another way in some ways more common in the Buddha's discourses, is is this way of deconstructing of the five aggregates. And I sent a couple um, short passages in the email today, maybe some of you haven't had a chance to open it up, and I'll read those in a moment, where the Buddha's talking about this other way of deconstructing. So one of the five aggregates, and that's an interesting term. Kanda is the Pali, It's like these five heaps, these five um, aggregates that together make up the sense of me or mine. And it's the activity of body, the five physical senses. And in this way of deconstructing this map, the Buddha divides the mind into four. Because the mind is a little bit, not a little bit, the mind is more seductive more subtle and seductive than bodily activity. So it's good to make it, it helps to make it less seductive to notice different facets, looking at the activity of mind from different angles. Oh, this is that aspect of mental activity that I could call perception, where the mind is recognizing a moment of contact. That's carol. You know, I look across the room. I see the visual form, but the perceptual process very quickly. I don't do this, right? This is just the nature of the mind is to apply a label when it recognizes that, right? So in the past, the label got associated with that mental image, or that sound. You can have a la- or that sensation. Oh, that's that tricky knee I have acting up so that connecting that concept that that label that memory with that present moment experience we call the perceptual process that just happens can you do that or stop that from happening i there's no way i can look at doug without that label happening right it just happens now we conventionally we say well i recognize doug But did you? (laughs) Recognition just happened. You didn't do anything for recognition to happen. I look, I see Zabutan, you know, that flat cushion there. Because that's, the mind knows it, recognizes that. And then immediately, or at the same time even, there's a feeling tone associated with every sense contact based on the past, relationships, activities, right, that live on as tendencies, inclinations, then a lot of sense experience is relatively neutral. It doesn't have a strong, pleasant or unpleasant feeling tone. Driving here, you saw a lot of snowflakes, right? The snowflakes probably didn't have a unpleasant or pleasant feeling tone associated with them. Neutral, but maybe the idea it's knowing had an unpleasant association or a pleasant association depending, right. So there's the actual visual experience of that white stuff. there's the thought, and everything is a contact, right? And every contact has a feeling tone. And again, when you look, when you the awareness is stable, settled, and you get curious in that facet of mental activity that we call feeling tone, how the mind, the dynamic of the mind, is applying a feeling tone to every sense contact. Now we'll note, note, you'll notice this for sure in the ones where there's a strong, pleasant, or unpleasant feeling tone associated with something. Your worst enemy walks in the room, You perceive that, the mind, wisdom recognizes, oh, that's, you know, that person. And then there's that unpleasant feeling tone immediately there, right? And then you might have some mental proliferation and some intention, all that category that's more of a catch-all category. We generally, it gets generally translated as mental formations, sankara. And then all of that, because it is recognized or seen, illuminated with consciousness, then that also is in the mix. So those four things we make up the mind, even though that mental formation is sort of a big catch-all category. So we have consciousness, that part of mental activity (coughs) that uh, that, uh, knows, that illuminates and knows, this is being known, and there's intention and mental proliferation. All that is that mental, uh, is sankara or uh, mental formations. And then the two, and the Buddha um, pulls out perception and feeling tone because it sets in motion so much habit energy. But when we see it, when we're able to Get close enough or stable enough to begin to recognize how the mind is perceiving, is recognizing one sense experience after another. Do we need to notice every sense experience that's being recognized? No. The sense experiences that, in a sense, get the attention. There's so many in one moment, of course, right? Like even on the visual field, think about how many visual sense contacts there are. And then How many auditory sense contacts and how many sense contacts from our thoughts about all that stuff. And then all the sense contacts of physical sensations and smells and tastes. A lot of contact. But some of those contacts, for whatever reason, will be in the forefront. And then get interested in those. Don't try to catch whatever it is. 10,000 every second or whatever. I mean, it's a lot, right? But we because the ones we do catch, they're representative of all the other moments of contact, right because this is what we're seeing is there's something predictable about sense contact, right There's the bodily piece, you know, to whatever degree the sense contact is related to bodily experience. <laughs> You know, and so much of our mental activity is somehow connected to bodily experience. We're thinking about a thought. I mean, we're thinking about a sight, a sound, a touch. Even if it's many times removed, it's all sort of feeding on each other, these different, you know, aggregates, the body and then the four aspects of the mind. But simply it's bodily activity and mental activity, And the reason we're sort of taking the time to break it down in these ways is it helps get close to recognize bodily and mental activity so that with the stability of awareness, it can be seen for what it is. Now in the small groups tonight, one of the things you might want to do is remember sometimes when uh, something big was happening in your life, some difficult drama, difficult interaction, difficult problem, something really exciting, beautiful going on. And for whatever reason, whether it was a really difficult thing or a really exciting, beautiful thing, you were feeling or noticing yourself getting worked up. And for whatever reason, you had the wherewithal to deconstruct it. Well, what's going on? You know, and you sat down or you lay down or you did something that supported the stability of present moment awareness. And you went from this is happening to me, you know, the drama of it all, very much a sense of me or mine dominating the mind to what's really going on? You know, and you notice the swirl of mental activity, thoughts, images. You drop down and notice that there's a feeling tone. feels like this. This is how it is in the body. The body's really tight, constricted. There's this mental activity feeding, one thought feeding then leading it to the next. You know, it has a tone of a pleasant or unpleasant tone to it. And the most Obvious thing when we just settle down a little and, and have some semblance of present moment awareness is that the whole thing, the churning, the moving, right? It's a living dynamic. So, anytime we're in a drama, from a superficial point of view, it's like I'm in a drama. It feels sort of, we think of it, we talk to ourselves as if it's a static truth. I have a problem, or I have this dilemma, or I have this exciting thing. But experientially, in the moment, in terms of our own direct experiencing, it's quite alive as a dynamic. And if we can deconstruct each part of it, and we see that no particular part that's observed refers back to something else. It's that being known, and that being known, and that being known. So the perceptions, how the mind is recognizing or naming or remembering, you know, what's going on, that is happening on its own. And when you notice that perception, clearly you see that the perception doesn't refer back to me. It's not me recognizing or perceiving, although that's the presumption. But when we actually notice perception more closely, more honestly, we see it's just perception. Like I gave the example, I see Doug, who I've known for a long time. He's been on our board of directors, our treasurer for a number of years. And so it's like I, I mentioned how like the recognition happens immediately. Now it seems superficially that when I recognize Doug, and then there's some emotional content because of the length of our relationship, Right? It can get confusing. But when I look at that part of the mind that just recognized that object, that visual object, that is just that. And when I look at the emotional feeling, you know, and, and the feeling tone of that emotion, like pleasant or whatever it might be for, for us, with a, whatever example you might be using in your own mind, that's just that emotional feeling being known. That doesn't refer back to anybody either. And all the memories, all the mental content, or all of the thoughts, oh, I've got to talk to Doug about this, and talk, like all that mental proliferation that might arise because I recognize that Doug's in the room, that too doesn't refer back. That arose because of causes and conditions. Of course, my habit with every one of those different aspects of the present moment, all rela- related to the initial contact of seeing that visual form. It may all seem like it refers back to me, but when I do the discipline checking, you know, really deconstruct my experience, all that was there, there was a feeling tone, an emotional affect, there was the recognition of the guy, there were the thoughts, but none of that, when I really look, was more than what it was. It was just what it was. It was the perception, it was the contact. It was the feeling. Are you feeling li- like our relationship has changed, Doug? <laughs> I kind of like to know <laughs> <laughs> it was a good feeling tone, Doug. <laughs> I'm surprised you need to ask. <laughs> That's a little hurtful. <laughs> So this would be a useful thing in the just generally in our lives when there's a drama, and you might just check it out in the small groups tonight. Like to think of some dramas, because you can even, <clears throat> you know, the think about things that are alive in our heart. You know, these exciting or difficult places, we can bring them up. <laughs> I'm sure you've noticed and regurgitate it and chew it for a, chew on it for a while, and so you could like bring up a drama, and then. Practice deconstructing it. It could be a political drama about what's going on in our country, you know, or it could be a relationship drama, or work drama, or a dharma drama. You know, is is there rebirth or is there not rebirth? No shoveling, <laughs> it's no shoveling drama, exactly. So you you just bring it up. And then it feels like, okay, there's this issue in my life, this trauma in my life, and then deconstruct it in terms of the five aggregates. Okay, what's happening in the body? You know, in terms of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. What's the mind recognizing? What memories, you know, how is the mind identifying experience, naming experience? What feeling tone? Now the feeling tone has a bodily energetic aspect. So the pleasantness then reverberates energetically as a sort of a visceral feeling. Same thing with the pleasantness. So feeling tone can be an emotion too. It's really this bridge between body and mind. The, sort of r- the idea that it's pleasant, of course, is mental but how we know that it's pleasant often has a bodily uh, reverberation. And that it's all known, right? The consciousness is clearly here. But we don't do any of that. Consciousness, even, even that, even that ability to know doesn't refer back, right? It seems like there's a nowhere, but when we actually look all we can say is there's knowing, you know, that that perception was known, that that feeling tone was known, that that bodily activity was known. We can't actually find the knower. And that's the reason to bring this kind of integrity to the investigation. Now, it seems seems initially forced But I'd really encourage you to do that in the small groups and then over the next few weeks. Just do your best, you know, like sit down so you're comfortable. Okay, what's going on? Let me understand this as bodily and mental activity. And as I kind of deconstruct the different obvious pieces of this bodily and mental activity that is my drama right now, that is my life right now, I want to check out whether it's true what the Buddha says, which is each of these aspects of mind and body are just what they are, not more than what they are. They're just that thing being known, that event or that aspect of the present moment being known. And really let that land. So we're not trying to project or make the Dharma true, we're just trying to see, using this frame, this way of deconstructing, what we come to understand. What does the mind come to understand? So let me read uh, the quotes from the Buddha's discourses that I sent in uh, this week's email this afternoon. And uh, you might have noticed, but often when I'm reading the discourses of the Buddha, he often uses the word bhikkhu, which um, usually gets translated as monks. But really, when the Buddha is talking in this way, he really means practitioners. Practitioners, I will teach you the burden, the carrier of the burden, the taking up of the burden, and the casting off of the burden. Listen and pay close attention, I will speak. It's like a good teacher. It's like, I'm going to say something really important, students. <laughs> it will behoove you to listen. And the, the practitioners responded, as you say, sir, the blessed one said, and, what, and which is the burden? The five clinging aggregates, it should be said. Which five form, body, as a clinging aggregate. Feeling tone as a clinging aggregate. Perception as a clinging aggregate. Fabrications or mental formations as a clinging aggregate. Consciousness as a clinging aggregate. This practitioner's is called the burden. So it's very interesting. And this is often confused in the Buddhist teachings because it can sound like he's really anti-life or anti-the world. But he's saying the world, which for us subjectively is the activity of body and mind, the problem with the world isn't the aggregates, it's the clinging to the aggregates. So he's, he's often bringing clinging together with this activity of body and mind. Because this is our ordinary state, because of ignorance being conditioned in, our mind is in the deep habit to cling to the activity of body, cling to the activity of mind. Clinging from this point of view, this framing the activity of body and mind as me, mine. And so then it matters what's being felt or known in the body. It matters what's happening in the mind because it's my thought or it's my feeling tone. It's my perception. It's my knowing. right? So there's a strong habit and that's what the Buddha calls the burden. And what is the carrier of the burden? The person it should be said. This venerable one with such a name such a clan's name, this is called the carrier of the burden. Right? So each individual in our conventional sense is the one who carries the burden, right? that wrong understanding, that deep habit of always framing or always understanding experience from this frame of self. And which is the taking up of the burden? The craving that makes for further becoming, accompanied by passion and delight, relishing now here and now there. For example, craving for sensual pleasure, craving to become, craving for non-becoming. This is called the taking up of the burden. So how does a person, how does a body and mind get into the place of being the carrier of the burden. Like, is it inherent in being a human being? I mean, clearly not from the Buddhist teachings point of view, because there is this possibility of release, right? This is the whole point that the Buddha spent his 45 years teaching is, you know, evidently his claim and Evidently replicated so many times. Many of us in this room have had tastes of the freedom the Buddha points to. So, this, uh, that it happens because the mind picks something up. And how does it pick it up? It craves, right? It's not so much about being like feeling desire for a sense pleasure or desire to get away from a pain, painful sense experience. It's when we use the word craving, we're really meaning that the mind has misinterpreted desire to imply that somebody wants to get rid of, somebody wants to have. Because we all feel desire. Anybody not feel desire to get rid of what's unpleasant or to get what's pleasant? But I can have... You know, when my mind's balanced and wisdom is alive and well, I can have desire, and the mind, the wisdom can be very clear. Desire is being felt, desire is being known, desire is like this. But I'm not confused thinking there's a me who needs to have that. There's a tug, there is that actual experience of desire that we call desire, but it doesn't refer back. The mind isn't bothering constructing or pretending that the desire refers back to a me who needs to have or get rid of. Now, obviously, a lot of the time when there's desire, there's either a strong or at least some sense that there's somebody desiring, somebody who's going to be happy if that desire is gratified. Somebody's going to be upset if it's not. It's really interesting, like when you have ice cream or whatever you like in your home, and uh, you're there, you know, in that tension, like a couple feet from the freezer, bowl in hand, totally okay. It's your ice cream, you know, and then really taking that time. Don't. So it's not a scolding, no, you can't, or an indulging, yes, you can. It's like, this is interesting. So whether or not you're going to eat that ice cream or not, let's just take a moment and notice what desire is and what it isn't. It's just that being known, right? It's something being recognized by perception, has a feeling tone, it's being illuminated, it's being known with consciousness, maybe has a bodily component, seeing the fridge you know the memory of purchasing the ice cream all of that is in the mix when we look at any part of that dance of activity of mental and physical activity every single bit that makes up that little drama 2 feet away from the freezer will be seen as something being known and not referring back to anything else it's just that feeling tone being felt, just that memory of purchasing organic ice cream, you know, my favorite kind, being known. Just this piece, this memory of having had that before, just the all of the dance being known by awareness. All of that is just what it is and and nothing more. And then it's so interesting, it's like there's there's an appearance of a somebody who's going to be happy if they have the ice cream, but wisdom isn't confused by that appearance, just like an enlightened being can participate in the world where everybody imputes the Buddha is really somebody, distinct, real, like there's somebody behind that you know image, right. But that doesn't mean the Buddha is confused by the appearance. The Buddha seemed to be very effective playing in the world of appearances. One time somebody asked the Buddha, we might have even used that discourse earlier in the course here, um, but that's uh, a famous passage where somebody asked the Buddha, what happens to the Buddha after he dies? Does he exist? Does he not exist? Does he neither exist nor not exist? You know, there's the... Sort of formulas that happened at the time, at least as they recorded it. And the Buddha refused to answer because he sensed, you know, with his clarity, that however he answered it, it would just make the guy more confused. So he just didn't answer. And then Ananda asked, his attendant asked him afterward, like, why did you say anything? You know, and he, the Buddha explained. And the idea is that the person doesn't even understand, like, the, Buddha, the person asking that question, what's going to happen to you when you die, he's presuming, like when he sees the Buddha or when he hears the Buddha, he's presuming that that is referring back to the Buddha's self, to that essential. But the Buddha's not confused. He knows that the activity of his mind and body, as brilliant maybe as it was apparently from the discourse, it seemed like a pretty remarkable human being, but that any of that dance of body and mind that taught for 45 years never referred back to anything. It was just nature. It was empty of a permanent soul or self, but it was as real as any of us are real, because we're exactly the same makeup. We're this activity of mind and body that doesn't refer back to anybody. So one time, I think maybe in that case, then the Buddha says to Ananda, like he doesn't even understand what's here now. How is he going to understand what happens when the body falls apart? Right. So if you don't even know what's here now, the activity of nature, see if we understand the activity of nature, then it's not even a relevant question what happens, because who does it happen to? So this is the you know it's such an interesting question, when people ask about like rebirth. the the interesting question is well, who's concerned? Like what's the concern? Because there's a presumption of a me. So, I think a more useful way, like in terms of inspiring wholesome conduct and responsibility and using this life to learn and develop really wholesome qualities, is whatever unfinished business is generated you know through negativity, through greed, and hatred in this life, that mental momentum you know that stuff, that charge will be. In the mix, some human being will have to process that ignorance and it won't be pleasant. Because it won't be me in a real sense, but somebody. So, and the same thing with wholesome qualities that we might set in motion, right? People will benefit whatever hard work we do to refrain from acting out on wholesome tendencies to cultivate wholesome, that good work changes. Whatever mind stream, you know, whatever mental qualities are moving forward, whatever impressions, whatever seeds are being planted. And that takes it out of this, it can get a little weird when I think people um, read too much into karma and they get it becomes a self drama. Oh, what am I setting up for myself? And it reinforces the wrong thing, not what the Buddha taught, right? Because the Buddha was really about seeing experience for what it is. And when we do, we see that it doesn't refer back. So I think that might be enough. Hopefully, that's enough. Um, for the small groups, for those who want to dig in a little bit more about the aggregates and how the Buddha uses them to teach about not-self, there's this great book that came out a couple years ago, Emptiness, A Practical Guide for Awakening, I'm sorry, A Practical Guide for Meditators by Guy Guy Armstrong. And for a long time, and I think they still have some copies at Moon Palace, and if you tell them you're from Common Ground, they'll give you 20% off because we used it um, for the weekly practice groups when it first came out. But there are three chapters in that book on the aggregates and how the Buddha uses them to teach about this impersonal nature. So we'll break into small groups for the last 25 minutes or so. And we're just, again, looking at some big activities in our mind, in our lives, dramas, deconstructing, seeing the different Elements of bodily activity, mental activity, as something being known, not referring back. And then also you could share dramas that you just can't seem to deconstruct. And then that's even interesting to look at, like oh, it almost feels like offensive to try to see it or feel it in an impersonal way. Like you're not doing justice to the drama or to the suffering in the drama. Like how dare I you know, see this as just stuff happening. So that's a nice thing to share in the small groups, too. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharmased, please visit dharmased. org slash donate